Welcome to Lucky Paper Radio, the last Lucky Paper Radio of 2022. I'm Andy, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Anthony, the ham appreciator, has entered the chat, Maddox. Hey, it's me, the ham guy. Everybody knows me for specifically appreciating ham. What's up? You try and come up with the nickname every <laughs> single week and try not to be digging down deep into the weeds. It's holiday season. You appreciate ham. I thought we'd talk mm-hmm. about ham briefly. Yeah. My, my, you know, my mom said she would get a whole country ham, like a cured ham, maybe for Christmas. That what make a ham a country ham? It's like a like a cured ham, like a prosciutto, but you know, it's different different styles depending on the region it's from. Okay, is all ham not cured? Uh, no, like a. Let's talk about ham later. This isn't ham chat. You know, like the prosciutto versus like a, a, a honey baked ham. But you said country ham, not prosciutto. Right. So so country ham is the cured ham, and city ham is uh, the baked ham right you would think you have to cure it to get it all the way to the city because the pigs live in the country <sighs> Look, I, i'd I'm, flip I'm, it i'm, is a, what I'm, I'm a ham appreciator if i was in charge not, of big ham i would flip a it. ham etymologist 
All right, fine. We can stop talking about him. Maybe you I did win. get it. Maybe I did get it wrong. If I did get it wrong, no, I don't think you did. I don't know. Tweeted me. I highly doubt it. Nobody tweeted Anthony about him. <laughs> you're not allowed. What? Okay. I'm, I'm not, I guess I'm not you're, permitting you're it. the tw- Twitter police. Just the corrections police. Okay, sure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Fine. We can stop talking about him. You win. Instead, we're going to do our end of year wrap up episode today. So every year on the website for the past four years now, we have done a, I think it's four years, 20, yeah, four years, we've done a Cube interview article where we ask people from around the community to weigh in on a couple different questions about Cube, what their Cube hit of the year was, their Cube miss, favorite card, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're going to talk about those questions on today's episode, answer those, and also just talk about the year in general, do a little little retrospective, Anthony. Yeah, it's been a big year for Magic. I think it's actually been a huge year for Cube, uh, and I'm excited to, I don't know, get on to the next year. <laughs> Has it been a big year for Magic, or just a year where all the graphs went up? Uh, the graphs did go up. And Ma- been, Magic literally got graphs. a lot bigger this year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to just get right into it, but uh, Magic really did get a lot bigger this last year. Uh, MTGDS on Twitter, uh, who does a lot of, you know, sort of data science does stuff. Does a lot of DS. With, does, does a lot of DS with MTG tweeted something about like just the amount of new stuff and it was like hundreds of new commanders which accounted for some like insane proportion of the new commanders uh, or insane proportion of all the commanders ever just printed in the last year and that sort of inspired me to go do a little bit of digging for myself because I wanted to see just how these numbers had changed over time and it is insane if you look at this graph just like a quarter of all so one of the things he looked at was the amount of new card text that was printed so imagine you just like stacked up all the text boxes of all the cards and how much has that changed over time and it's insane this graph a quarter of all the cards rules text has been printed in the last two years if this trend continues i mean it can't we'll all be magic cards it's in all four going years. along it's pretty steady it's growing a little bit in all the, last the two years, all the known matter in the spiked. universe will be magic cards uh yeah probably yeah mm-hmm now, it might sound like we're just telling the exact same story we told from the last episode of the podcast, where we it's also we talked about, about graphs, <laughs> but you've been making more and more graphs. You haven't stopped. So there's also new graphs you've made. You've made graphs of word count in people's cubes. You've been doing all kinds of... Basically, you just like set up some new tooling for yourself, and you've been enjoying playing around in the space. Yeah, it's actually, you know, just once you have a little bit of stuff set up, it's just like, oh, here's my function for binning data, and then counting some different data, and loading the bulk data from Scryfall. You can just plug things around and see how graphs look. It's pretty cool. You're I a real actually, man with a hammer, but instead you're exactly, a man with a man Scryfall with a toolkit. Computer. Um, and I might even go ahead and open source some of those in the next couple, couple weeks. So, you know, if you're not super comfortable writing JavaScript, but maybe if you, like, have the function that's says load data and the function that says output csv and you just want to plug in bin group graph might be might be something interesting for you watch this space for open source software yeah should we just dive right in with our cube hit of the year anthony uh sure let's do it so i mean i feel like the spirit of these questions is very much geared towards you know what's the best set what's the best new cards i'm just going to be upfront that i might want to talk about a little bit more abstractly sort of what the cube community has been like in the last year it's almost really as follow. if the first question is literally not set or card it's literally open-ended okay perfect that's great. why i word it that way just want to make sure <laughs> So go ahead. All right. Well, okay. So my cube hit of the year, I think this is very obvious and straightforward to me, was CubeCon. Yep. That's I, what I, I have written down here, too, okay, in my perfect. copy book. So then we're perfectly in the spirit of these questions. I didn't realize I was doing it right. Yeah. I mean, CubeCon was, this was the first time that an event like this had happened. It was this huge gathering, not huge gathering, it was about 200 people coming together in Madison, Wisconsin, playing a lot of cubes. If this is not your first episode, you've probably heard us talking about it. And it was just a blast, and I really think it is going to have a big effect going forward on the cube community. It really sort of showed that 
Cube is not just the Magic Online Vintage Cube. It is all kinds of diverse things. And it was just awesome to meet all these people that we've been interacting with on the internet for so long. And they finally are real people now to me. Yeah, I agree. KubeCon was the first thing I thought of, too, for sure. And I'll say that I have been a little hesitant to talk about KubeCon a lot on the podcast, because I know the vast, vast majority of our listeners did not go to KubeCon. Many of them maybe wanted to go and couldn't go, and it's like some weird FOMO to talk about it. But this is the retrospective, and that was the biggest part of the year for me, too, in terms of Cube and magic in general. It reminded me of like listening to old episodes of The Resleevables when Patrick and Cedric would talk about having this network of people that they know they would see at these events. And in their case, they were playing competitive magic and they would see them, you know, multiple times a year at different GPs and and whatnot. KubeCon is like the one thing we have, right? Where we can all, those of us that can make it to Madison or wherever it's hosted next year can all kind of gather in person and actually, yeah, it's like lays this like foundation to like codify the community in a very real sense. It's not just like living in the box anymore, like you said, in the in the box of a computer. Yeah, totally. But I mean, I, I guess I want to emphasize even more. I don't think if you missed it, it's like, oh, you missed it on the great experience. And it's it's like, don't feel like you missed out. Because I think what you're still getting is all the ripples that KubeCon is going to generate of Cube feeling sort of legitimized in a way and getting a lot more attention. And there being a lot more content in terms of videos from KubeCon itself and just a lot more people getting into the format. So I think even if you're not making it, it's hopefully still just enriching the whole Cube sort of network of people and content. Yeah. On a little more practical note, I do have a more narrow Cube hit of the year. And uh, for me, I think it's just reconfigure from Neon Dynasty. We've talked a lot about how cards like Barb Spike and Ancestral Blade do this really great job of filling multiple roles in your deck of both kind of enabler and payoff and allowing you to maybe support some more quote-unquote narrow themes like an Equipment Matters theme, an Artifact Matters theme in different colors by allowing you to have these modal cards where it's both a creature and an equipment so you don't have this risk of drawing all your equipment and no creatures or whatever. And it was really nice, I think, to see that manifested on a mechanic like Reconfigure and to get a bunch of great cards with Reconfigure on them for people that do want to explore those themes. And it's funny, I'm only playing one... Re- well, I guess I'm playing two. I got Rabbit Battery, too. So I'm playing two Reconfigure cards in uh, in my main cube and none in my other cubes. But I still think that was one of the sort of highlights for the year just for, like, the cube design world to have, like, additional options in this space. And I feel like there's probably a lot of equipment matters themes that are still very unexplored in cube design because people haven't quite latched onto the fact that now they have all of these cards that play both sides of the field as it were yeah i think that's really true it's interesting how i think that different formats take a little bit longer to sort of have new cards new formats or sorry new mechanics sort of come into the main fold of the format i think for constructed when people are especially playing in competitive high level play it's very quick you know people are really paying attention and trying to keep on the pulse and figure out how these new cards are going to play in their format sometimes it's not quick sometimes a deck flies under the radar sometimes for it, years sometimes it's it's minutes sometimes it's hours sometimes it's as much as days in formats that are played online and at a high level i mean i see what you're saying but it is not true that there is no brewing to be done in competitive Absolutely, formats and sometimes sure. there are decks that are discovered that have been there for where the key pieces have been there for months or years that nobody had put together in that sure way there's yet. always going to be a you know lantern control or whatever of uh of combinations of cards but for the most part you know these formats get a lot of attention paid to them i think then if we look at casual formats like commander it takes a little bit longer for things to become mainstream and things that uh, turn out to be you know staples as the community might call them take months or years before they really reach that status and i think cube is just going to take even longer because there's a, a couple extra steps that have to happen for players to 
not only figure out that they want to play these cards, but figure out what cube they're going to put them in, and then the players of those cubes to then understand how those decks work in that context. So I agree. I think that uh, reconfigure is definitely one of those things that I think will, over time, just pop up more and more because it is such a simple and backwards compatible and forwards compatible mechanic that's just going to work in a lot of different themes and archetypes and with a lot of other cards. I think the slowness of cube is one of the reasons that people like it. I mean, people oftentimes play cube because they want to check out of the churn of a rotating format or the churn of a shifting meta or whatever. So I think that's a feature, not a bug necessarily, of uh, of cube as a format. I mean, and the fact that, you know, if you're wanting to play someone's cube, you don't necessarily have to keep up and be doing all that managing and editing and reviewing. Or if you are managing your cube, you don't have to necessarily read every single card to still be getting the most enjoyment out of your particular cube. I mean, I, I totally agree. Again, going back to just the amount of rules text that has been printed cube is great because you don't have to keep up with that if you don't want to you can just opt into the amount of magic that you want to consume and use to inform your cube experience yeah there's still cards i haven't read all of from this year so same i don't have to because i can just know that that's too many words for me so i'm gonna take a hard pass on it but yeah I'm, i'm mostly excited for like some future cube designer that hasn't designed a cube yet that sits down at scryfall and starts searching for things to maybe build an equipment theme and discovers that, yes, reconfigure plus living weapon plus the ancestral blades and the barb spikes of the world means that you can play otherwise narrow equipment matters cards and make it totally work in a uh, in a cube format in ways that I don't think I've seen anybody do in a cube yet. Uh, I think it's just a lot of untapped space there. So I think reconfigure is a big win in that sense. And when I think about the whole year, that's the thing I'm most excited for in three years, someone to be searching Scryfall for and come across. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, plus there were a lot of cards that just care about power and toughness. We talked about Baird in my cube, which is just a, a fun card and it's like really fun to draft and discover all the ways that it is to trigger and, uh, you know, change the power of your, of your creatures. I do want to give a quick shout out to the channel lands from Kamigawa as well. These were, I think some of the most powerful cards we saw for cubes this year. If you're playing a power motivated cube, probably some of the cards you're most excited about. I really like them because I love having modal effects in my decks. I like drafting lands. I think it's interesting to think about cards like this. I mean, these are on their face, save for the legendary type line and the fact that they're non-basics, kind of strictly upgraded basic lands, right? With cards we thought we would maybe never see. They just come into play on tap, they tap for a colored mana, and they have these channel abilities on them. Yeah, I mean, especially in cubes that are often singleton, there's really not much limitation outside of somewhat, you know, uh, things that you're not going to see in every deck, like Rafelos that cares about forest specifically. Wasteland, Blood Moon, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Back I mean, there's, there's a lot of individual cards of the 23,000, 25,000 cards uh, we could think of. Well, it's funny. I mean, it is a real, it's a real, real cost in a format like Legacy. Like, I don't think these see yeah, any play in Legacy yeah. just because... You can't, because you can't have your land get wastelanded unless it's really, really worth it. Anyway, I like cards like this so much more for cube than I do for other magic formats. I don't like these kinds of cards in Constructed because I do think that playing the first one is kind of free, and it's a, it's a weird thing to try and balance, basically, when you're trying to build out a Constructed meta. And to be clear, what I like or don't like in Constructed is completely irrelevant, because I don't really play Constructed, so who cares? But... I think cube is a space where these cards can really shine because you still have to draft them. Yes, at the end of the day, they're like free to put in your pool. And if someone gave you a free on-color channel land, you'd almost certainly always play it in your deck unless you somehow were short on fetchables and you needed enough basic lands you could actually fetch with your fetch lands. But having to actually draft that card, I think, introduces a fun tension into how much you value having these modal effects. And I know a lot of cube designers don't like them because they're like, well, 80% of the time, this is just going to be a swamp. But... I do like those effects for the 20% of the time that 
Takanuma Abandoned Meyer is going to be a raised dead. And I really value that modality and being able to allow me to express that difference in card evaluation in drafting, I think, is, is a cool thing these lands do to cubes. So maybe those get the sort of cube hit of the year for me just in terms of relative like they really shine in cube They're more, more of a hit in cube than they are in other contexts yeah i really like them for cubes more than i would normally like a card design like that yeah that's such a good point that a lot of the cards that we think of of having this downside of being too easy to include and just you know every deck across the field is going to end up with them so it's just not a great card for constructed and this applies a lot to powerful artifacts as well uh, you're just not going to have that problem in cube because only one person is going to draft it and it is at the cost of a pick so it kind of makes it a great place to play a lot of those cards yeah anything else on cube hit of the year anthony I mean, it's it's difficult because there's so many new cards that came out, so many cool things, and I just feel like the cube community has really been proliferating. We've been seeing that a lot in terms of, you know, new people making content, obviously, KubeCon and all the sort of things that have come out of that. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just been that shift in dynamic that I think KubeCon really was a focal point in that was really, really exciting to me. All right, well, what is your cube miss of the year? This is our lone perhaps a negative question, but I think it's worth calling out as something that maybe was not great for Cube this year. So something sort of subtle, and I don't think this affects most Cube designers, um, but because we had a bunch of revisit sets, we revisited Dominaria a couple times, uh, we revisited Kamigawa, and, you know, it was a great set that we loved. We saw so many cool sort of uh, plays on past things and, uh, you know, references to old cards. And I think a lot of people were really excited then to go build set cubes or playing cubes and explore those themes a little bit. But there's a really big limitation that made that difficult, which is just the amount of power creep we've seen. I feel like maybe you see this even more clearly with a lot of the Ravnica sets, but when you combine some of these plane sets, it's just like the, the cards from the newer sets are the things that drive the format, and you can't necessarily play them as easily together as you'd want to. So I think that power creep affects different formats in different ways. And I really think it has affected Cube in the way that it just makes a lot of cards less compatible with each other because of the disparity of power level. So for me, I feel like we've seen a lot of power creep as magic in general has sort of shifted towards eternal design. And that is, to me, a big miss. Yeah, we've definitely seen this in friend of the show, Aaron's Cube, shout out Aaron, who is working on a... Kamigawa set cube inspired right. by Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Aaron, relatively new to the game, definitely was not playing back during original Kamigawa. And I think he very quickly discovered, like, wait a minute, these cards are very different when he was looking back at the OG Kamigawa cards. And it's like, yeah, you, it's really hard to actually play those alongside yeah. the Neon Dynasty cards. And maybe that's not quite as pronounced when you talk about original Innistrad and some of the returns to Innistrad and, and whatnot. Maybe it is. I don't know. I guess that was technically last year, right? What's time? Couldn't tell you. But yeah, I think that's definitely a, uh, a thing that you feel really strongly. I, I felt this really strongly drafting the old border cube at, at CubeCon, which I've talked about in the show before. It was, it felt like so much of a different game than I expected it to. And right. it was like, I didn't realize how much year over year things had just changed a little bit, changed a little bit, changed a little bit. And then, you know, like a true boiled frog, you look back and you're in a whole different world than you were in. And I, I had that realization when I played the old border cube and I was like the sequencing and considerations and the gameplay is so much different in this environment than it would be in a environment with modern design sensibilities so yeah I, th I think you're right i think you know one of the great things about magic is that it is backwards compatible you literally can put cards printed 28 29 years ago in the same cube as cards printed yesterday and they mechanically work together and that's brilliant but as modern r d changes more and more and gets power crept and you know 
Power Creep is a whole thing, right? And I think Mark Rosewater's episodes of Drive to Work about Power Creep are really interesting to listen to. And we've already referenced his Designing for an Eternal World episode of Drive to Work, where he basically talks about the fact that Power Creep used to be a thing they would basically cycle through. Like, you know, standard's going to rotate out, so in this standard block, we're going to, like, push uh, removal a little bit. And this next standard block, we're going to push creatures, and then we're going to push artifacts, and we're going to push enchantments, or we're going to push aggro decks or control decks. And they would just kind of, like always be cycling through them so that it wasn't like when you took look at a control deck from you know 1998 and a control deck from 2007 they were radically different because it wasn't just a straight up and down it was like a you know a sign right. curve basically i mean and that's, over time that strategy combined with the standard format in general was honestly just a brilliant solution to keeping the game backwards compatible and not having power creep because it always felt like there was some power creep because something is stronger than the previous season. Something is always accelerating. Right. But, but people just the ignore thing. the things that are weak. They're like, oh, well, that's not a good card. I'll talk about the quote unquote good cards. And that becomes the focus of standard, becomes right. the focus of limited, becomes the focus of all the magic talk while they're quietly, you know, scaling something, scaling else something back so that in two years they can scale it back up again and everyone can go, wow, these are the best cards we've yeah. seen in a long like, time. You wow, know? these burn is really strong right now. And it's like, yeah, burn was also strong three cycles ago, but you're not going to necessarily have that same memory because you've right. been focused on other aspects. And of the quite game. literally a lot of players wouldn't have been playing the game three cycles ago like there's a lot yeah. of new players all the time True. so so this shift towards eternal magic does kind of take away that really cool solution and i think that that wizards is in a period of trying to figure out a new solution for these same problems and also just power creeping things in a big way yeah i mean i feel for the r&d team because i see people i'm not even in like commander content circles but i see people all the time complaining on twitter complaining on reddit about how there aren't any good cards or whatever, aren't any push cards, none of these cards are making my deck. You know, I have a deck that cares about plus one, plus one counters. And this set has plus one, plus one counters in it, but none of the cards are good enough for my plus one, plus one counter deck. And it's like, yeah, you build a deck out of 30 years of the best cards possible. Not every set is going to have yeah. a ton of new cards that are the best cards for that theme. And Mark Rosewater has said that is one of the biggest driving forces of R&D today is trying to print cards for Commander, Magic's most popular format. And yeah, I think you're right. They're... They're in a bit of a pickle, I would say, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to continue to meet player demand while also not power creeping the game in a way that is unsustainable. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. I mean, I'm looking at this graph and just thinking about not just having players in three different constructed formats wanting to see something cool in each of the five colors in every set. Like, that's that's sort of maybe what the previous baseline looked like. Now it's people saying, I have plus one, plus one counter snake tribal, and I really want to see something for my plus one, plus one counter snake you, tribal deck. If you look at his blog, Atog Tumblr, like there's questions every day, like Absolutely. when are we getting snake pipelines again? Like there's someone out there wants everything, right? And I, I do think that it's a bit of a catch 22 to try and give everybody what they want all the time. And as good as that might be in the short term for like shareholders and whatnot, I don't know how they're going to square that long term with the sustainability of the game right which to take this back to cube our favorite format we get to ignore it it's all upside like they're printing <laughs> more cards we get to choose which cards we want to play and if they're printing 10 times as many cards and only a tenth are relevant to us great we're still getting the same amount of cards that are potentially relevant but it does mean you know if they had been able to which you know maybe this option just isn't there really keep that that power creep under control you know avoid the power creep then it would just mean we would have a tremendous number of cards that would all be compatible with with each other as it is it's we have some challenges and there are just some things you might want to do like playing the newest kamigawa cards with the previous kamigawa playing cards that doesn't really work that's kind of a miss but overall we're still just getting more cards i'm gonna push back a little bit on that okay do it 
I don't think more cards is just a universal good. And I think the reasons why not come down to the same kind of community things you mentioned at the beginning, right? Like magic is a community. And I remember when we first started getting really into the game seven, eight years ago, as we were talking to people that were invested in the game, I remember when I learned that like spoiler season was a thing. Like this is when we get new cards and people are always excited about it and being like brought into the world of people that like now care about spoiler season. And I'm in a chat room where we're talking with my magic players and my play group about the new spoilers that are coming out. And that feels unapproachable i think to new players now where we've brought a couple new players into cube into magic again this year and i have seen them be like i just can't keep up like i i clearly i'm not invested enough like like i am not i'm clearly not a like really invested magic player because that seems like too much for me to like keep up with and that i think is is a negative and i think it's it's nice to have the broader magic community focused on a thing we can all share like if you imagine they printed 150,000 magic cards every year sure there would be a wealth of cards for a million little fractured communities to go off and do their specific EDH deck, their specific cube, their specific whatever. But there'd be too many for us to have a like magic community centrally. Like, Which I think is what is happening. I mean, yeah. the, the game is just growing and people that are interested in different aspects of the game are doing different things. Like, I think they really are doubling down on a lot of this is not for you. And I, I don't mean that as a negative. I mean that it's just magic is becoming more than one community. It's it's too big for one community. And I don't know if that's universally a good thing. I, I like the game as a communal tool. And sure. I do think fracturing that community more is not necessarily great. Sure. I mean, I'll say for myself and my own experience of the game, and I don't know how to disentangle just the fact that I've been playing longer from this experience, but I've definitely dropped off of paying attention to spoiler season and dropped off of trying to complete every, you know, new set, collect all the rares or the mythics or whatever. And part of that is it does just feel like there's too much, you know, the, this is no longer feasible for me to scratch that itch of being a little bit of a completionist about collecting new sets. So I'm kind of just off it. I'm going to get the couple cards that are interesting for cube, uh, you know, whatever I open from a couple limited events, but yeah, I mean, I've definitely dropped off in terms of collecting. I've dropped off in terms of paying attention to spoiler season because, hey, I can just look at spoiler season next week. I can just check in and out as I want or, you know, don't, as is increasingly the majority of the time. And that just means I miss a lot of stuff. I think it's happened to a lot of people. And that is the part that I think is the negative of printing yeah. so many new cards, so many new sets, so much complexity is that everyone just kind of checks out and is like, well, I can't keep up with magic and have that be like a thing I'm universally interested in anymore because I don't have the bandwidth. So I literally have to just care about the things I care about. And that means I don't have a conversation I can have with the people playing standard at my LGS or the people playing a format I don't play, you know, online because we don't have any common ground anymore. Okay, but just to check myself, is this real? Because I also feel like, you know, when I was getting into Magic, the people that I was looking up to and listening to limited advice, they'd be like, well, yeah, I, I don't follow spoiler season because I've just been playing Magic long enough. Like, that sort of thrill is no longer there. And so maybe it's just that I don't I'm, remember that at all, but who knows? Different experience, maybe. So I don't know. I mean, it, there are a lot of confounding factors in what my experience is, and I don't totally trust my own perceptions here, but that is what it feels like to me. It does just feel like a tension to me between... More cards is better for cube designers. We have the luxury to actually ignore things. I mean, I have heard from constructed players more so that or whose videos I watch or streams I watch that like they are just exhausted of having to evaluate cards for their constructed format, having the meta being completely upended every single set. And there's something not fun about having it change so dramatically so quickly. And that is a problem for them. We don't have that problem, right? We don't have a practical problem. We just have the emotional bandwidth kind of question of like, how invested in this game do you feel when you actually can't keep up with it? Sure. 
so yeah, I guess the uh, the miss of the year, it sounds like for, for me, maybe for both of us, is both this power creep and just this creep creep of there just being a lot to deal with that really, for better or worse, has changed our relationship. And we're going to say worse because this is the miss section, a relationship to the game. Yeah, my other miss of the year is that uh, they finished the Triumph cycle. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, they sure didn't. <laughs> they finished the uh, luxury, Zatora's luxury suite or whatever. So is. people might think that I'm mad that they didn't call them Triumphs, as a lot of players, I think, justifiably are. Oh, I think, sure. I think it was definitely a mistake. don't like the Triumphs. I don't like the Triumphs. And in the same sense we were just talking about, right, nothing is taken away from me by them completing the Triumph cycle. I wasn't playing the original five Triumphs from Ikoria. I'm not going to be playing these five Triumphs. I shouldn't care, right? But I do because Magic R&D is a finite resource, right? They don't make infinite cards. And the fact that they completed the Triomes for the various reasons they completed the Triomes, instead of completing my beautiful, beautiful bicycle mm-hmm. lands. R&D is a limited resource, and they haven't figured out what to name the 20th land cycle when they're they're you've used all kinds of different Already kinds of called geography. bicycle lands they haven't they haven't written the flavor text for these cards and it's going to take a certain amount it's of been finite like resource. five years since Amonkhet. <laughs> my argument for the bicycle lands over the triumphs first of all i hate that the triumphs do not look like the colors of mana they produce because there is no such thing as a three color card frame it's just the yet. gold card frame yet yet so you look across the table and you have to ask what triumph is that because i can't tell what colors of mana that produces that's annoying. Also, when on your side of the table, you have to look at the table and figure it out. Yeah. Also, the names, I get that, obviously, there's all the reasons that they're named in plain. You know, they're not named Jeskai or whatever, but I don't know, looking at the names of cards, what color of mana they produce. Like, I kind of do, I guess, if I think about it really hard, but it's not intuitive, so I think there's a lot of, like, friction there. They're incredibly powerful, right? They have shaken up modern by making these five color domain decks a thing they are just really really powerful cards and the fact that they're pushed on power means that they are shaping magic more broadly and also the cycling three three is a lot of mana so the bicycle lands are i think a more appropriate power level they're better game design because you can actually tell across the table what they are you can tell when you're going through your deck when you're trying to fetch which one you're looking for and the cycling two means they're actually closer to modal than cycling three which is so much more so I don't know. To me, that's like a nice condensed way, almost to say the same thing you were saying, right? Like the, the triumphs are clearly not for me, right? In the same way, everything else we just talked about is what's happening in magic is maybe not for us. And that was just a, a small example of like, here was a beautiful thing I loved from five, five and a half years ago, the, uh, the original cycling lands, cycling dual lands with types. And we got all kinds of lands. We probably got more non-basic lands this year than we got in any prior year. I'm sure you could crunch the numbers and figure it out. But we got a bunch of things that are essentially not for me and not the one thing that I've wanted for so long. Finish the cycling lands. And I know I could just make them up and proxy them, but I'm not going to. You wouldn't get that authentic flavor text. But it's interesting, like, if, if they're printing more cards, doesn't that just mean that they're going to get to those bicycle lands sooner? Or, like, are, are you kind of falling into a brainstorm lock fallacy here? I don't know. I mean, I, I think the fact that they completed the triumphs first indicates to me that, like, we might see... 12 more power level push cycles before we come back to the bicycle lands, which by modern standards would like competitive players would not be as thrilled to see them in a set. They'd be like, oh, those are fine. They're mid fixing lands, right? They're not as exciting as the tricolor fetchable lands or whatever new hotness is going down. So I don't know. I think it's possible that like the kind of cards I would like to see printed in some ways are kind of power crept out. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> There's one more miss I want to... Yeah, actually, I mean, that's that's a really good point, which I would also highlight. Like, I think for a long time, people were interested in a white reclamation sage. People were saying, you know, the color pie has shifted, this would be totally appropriate, and would be a really great fit for my environment. And we did just get a 
white reclamation sage uh, in the Lauren recent of the set, Third Path. Lauren of the Third Path. And it's it's not white reclamation sage because it has two other chunks of text that probably don't matter in a lot of other contexts. And I think that is actually a really clear description of the kind of card that you wanted potentially has yep. been power crept out. And there's just, that's no longer ever going to happen. The ship has sailed on a lot of cards. And I mean, to be fair, that's, white, a, that's kind of a bleak outlook, actual but. white reclamation stage would not be good in 2022. No, like, they wouldn't see play anywhere. You wouldn't have sell. you have there, some cube designers be a market for it, except for us very niche cube. people. You have some cube designers that are still on reclamation stage and would want a white one and they put it in their cube. But yeah, a card like Lauren that has all of these other edge cases that is exciting to commander players that does all this weird stuff with cards that limit how many cards your opponent can draw each turn or whatever. Like all of those additional com- complex edges is what. That seems to be the driving force behind R&D these days, is maximizing for that. There's one of the myths I want to talk about briefly. And I want to be careful how we talk about this. Cube covers have been broken for like more than half of the year. <laughs> Very careful, just going to say it outright. <laughs> well, look, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Cube cover has been, been largely broken for a long time this year. Broken in a lot of different ways. Not unusably broken. You know, it's not so broken that, uh, you know, people can't still use it. But I, I've made an account on different cube websites so I can draft against bots because the bots have been so miserably bad on Cube Cobra since some API changed. Now the bots don't work anymore. And this is not at all to blame Gwen, blame the contributors to Cube Cobra because they are doing a, essentially a thankless job, right? Like they are trying to maintain this complicated tool that they get paid essentially no money to maintain. And the reason this is a miss for me is just because it reminds me of how important a tool like that is to our community, to Cube designers, how important it is to have a Cube Cobra or a Cube Tutor that came before it. And we've talked about how I think before Cube Tutor, like I never would have made a Cube if Cube Tutor didn't exist. I wouldn't have thought it was a thing I could do. I wouldn't have known how to go about it. Like building the tools oftentimes like brings the thing into existence. I, I don't think KubeCon would have happened if not for what these tools existing, right? No, and I, w- I would even emphasize beyond that. I would just say that uh, there are a lot of tools that are pretty incha- interchangeable and work for a lot of formats. You know, if you're building a commander right. deck, you have a deckless tool that works for modern. It's mostly going to work for a commander deck. Like Moxfield covers everything. It. Everyone sure. loves Moxfield. And it was yeah. maybe, maybe the fact that they add a special commander field. You can tag your commander as a, as a unique card. That helps a lot, but you could still use the tool most of the time, even if it didn't have those niceties that cater to that format. And hell, you could just use a spreadsheet for a lot of those or, you know, a text file. Cube really is a very unique format and takes a lot of really, really special tools. Like you're mentioning the simulated drafts give you so much space to think about how the environment works that just allows you to design a cube that I don't think you'd really be able to do otherwise. And I would say the same thing for KubeCon. Gwen ended up building custom software for doing all the rank choice voting for all the registration for the, the entire tournament structure. And, you know, that tournament was so unique, I don't think any existing tooling would work. Like, I think we, as the Cube community, need these really custom tools to mm-hmm. make things work smoothly and allow people to think easily about this format. And so, so the miss for me is just that I don't think we're in a sustainable spot with that. We lived through the sort of slow demise of Cube Tutor when Ben could not sustain it anymore, couldn't make changes, wasn't being able to pay us the hosting bills for it. And... We're obviously pretty far from that, I think, with Cube Cobra. I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, but I don't look at Cube Cobra and all of the sort of software we have at our fingertips and think, good, we're at a nice, healthy stasis. I think we are still at this sort of tense point where it's like, who is going to meet all of the needs of this very demanding format that is essentially played by a very small group of people, or at least designed by a very small group of people relative to other Magic formats? Right. And... 
that is that that's definitely a thing that uh, bums me out. I mean, like I genuinely feel stifled in the designing of this new neoclassical cube because I can't do bot drafts reasonably. I don't want to send links to other people to bot draft to simulate drafts because that's not going to be useful for them or me. Not having that tool is like, uh, I'm kind of like shadow boxing a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think we should say explicitly, because we might be taking it for granted because we are in this, you know, software web design space outside of doing this podcast, that designing and building websites is really hard. It so takes a hard. ton of technical work. So hard. And it's also really expensive. I'm sure Cubecober costs hundreds of dollars a, a month just to keep the servers running. And that's just... That's yeah, just all on and Gwen. Gwen's got a full time job. Yeah, yeah. this is and then it's not Cube Cobra. So I don't think it's sustainable for Gwen. I don't know if Gwen's ready to admit that to himself. But that is a miss for me and something I have been been on my mind uh, in the sort of second half of this year. So something to think about going into next year, maybe. We've arrived at the questions that Anthony hates, the sort of nuts and bolts questions. Anthony, what's your Cube card of the year? So I actually don't hate this question because I do have a card of the year. Is it Bushwhack? No, no, I still haven't cast that card. <laughs> okay, well, what is it, Anthony? It's Scrapwork Mutt. This, oh, okay, this duh, card duh, isn't duh, that duh, exciting. Duh, 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 duh. This yeah, isn't sure, the sure, big sure. splashy thing that's going to define and shape formats. This is just the card that I keep coming back to as I look at other formats and as I talk with other people about, you know, oh, you've got a little discard theme over here. you got a little artifact theme. You have Sacrifice. It's, this card is just such an elegant little glue piece that ties a bunch of things together, and it just it, that's, that's just it. It just fits in the most different contexts and is fun to play with. Great. Cool little dog. Robot dog. Love it. I struggled a little bit with this question. I didn't have an obvious winner for me. I think what I came down to is it's this real close race between Lion Sash, which I think is one of the most exciting reconfigure creatures and gives us another incremental choice grave hate card. Uh, I have been struggling a little bit in my cube to figure out how to get more grave hate in there without it being just full-on hosing the decks that care about the graveyard and stuff like scavenging ooze and lion sash are great because they can be removed you have to hold up mana if you want to be able to exile something instant speed so you have to make a choice about whether or not you think that's going to be an important thing to do next turn or whether or not you should commit your resources elsewhere and that in combination with the reconfigurability i think makes uh, makes lion sash really appealing and one of the top cards of the year for me the other one is Ledger Shredder. I, I do really love Ledger Shredder. It touches on all kinds of aspects of deck building. It fits in aggressive decks. It fits in defensive decks. It works with discard synergies. It rewards you for doing a thing you already want to do, which is casting multiple spells a turn. It prompts interesting sequencing decisions on both your part and your opponent's part, because your opponent can also trigger your Ledger Shredder by casting two spells a turn. So that's up there for me, too. I also really like Mawlock, and it would probably be Mawlock for me if Mawlock wasn't part of the 40k IP with the weird card frame and the weird foil stamp and the ravenous keyword that is not a keyword that makes sense anywhere else. If it was just the mechanics of Mawlock attached to a card with a sort of more cohesive magic identity, that would probably be the winner for me this year. So it's, it's one of those three, I think. Okay, well, you have to pick one. That's the question. I'll pick Ledger Shredder. Okay, great. I also would, would give a little shout-out to Rabbit Battery as well. I, I, I agree with you that... Card is cool. I think Reconfigure is just one of the best mechanics we've seen from the past year, and it's just a nice, simple card that plays in a lot of contexts really well. Best set for cube, Anthony. So I was surprised. You asked this to some of our Magic friends the other day, and they all gave different answers. To me, it's a very clear Neon Dynasty. I think Neon Dynasty is, without a doubt, the best set of the year. But I have a different answer for best set for cube. Before we do that, though, what's your explanation for Neon Dynasty being the best set for cube? 
I mean, to me, it was just I'm going through the past set surveys, looking at what the top cards are, and the the Neon Dynasty cards all spoke to me so much more than any other set. Uh, it was just like, yeah, these are cards that I've had fun playing with, I enjoy seeing. Uh, I think all the mechanics from Reconfigure to the little bit of Enchantment Matters, the Artifact Matters stuff, it all just played really well, and, and I really... Yeah, I, I just expect to see these cards pop up more and more in cubes than the cards from other sets. That was definitely my favorite set of the year from Magic, more broadly speaking. And so I was tempted to say Neon Dynasty is my best set for cube as well, for similar reasons. I already mentioned Reconfigure. I mentioned the Channel Lands. There's obviously a lot to like in that set. I'm going to go with Dominar United, though. And the reason I'm going to is because I think it has the biggest density of clean, simple, and flexible cards that can fit into a lot of different cubes moving forward. I'm talking about stuff like Aether Channeler, Electrostatic Infantry, Quirion Beast Caller, Shivan Devastator, Haughty Jin, Tailswipe even. Cards that I think are stand out from the rest of this year in their relative cleanliness. And as much as I love Neon Dynasty, it is, by word count metrics, the most complicated wordy magic set ever printed. And I think the success of that set, in spite of all of that wordiness, speaks a lot to how well designed the mechanics are in that people felt they were able to grasp and wrap their head around everything, even though it was such a complicated set in pure word terms. But I do think that those cards will fundamentally fit into a narrower range of cubes long term than cards like Query and Beast Caller. It's just a great card for any cube that cares about creatures. And if you care about plus one plus one counters, even better. And it's just this card that fits in a lot of places. Uh, same with all the other ones I mentioned. Was Kamigawa really wordier than Strixhaven? I feel like that yeah, was... It was. Wow. That's notably so, I think. That's incredible. Got to remember they had all of the uh, double-faced the, yeah, sagas. Sagas with a lot of a lot of text on the saga in, the in general, and then all the double-faced ones. There's obviously more faces for words. The other reason I really like Dominar United is that they gave us a nice, clean cycle of Enter the Battlefield tapped typed dual lands, and the power motivated cube designers are probably not super interested in this. Though I do know our friend Scott, friend of the show replaced one of his cycles of original duels with these lands from Dominaria United just to try and balance and, things and out. And I, I told him, you can just write Enters Tapped on your duels. It's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll go right to the top of the subreddit. <laughs> I think those cards are a fantastic addition to the toolkit for cube designers to have just Enter the Battlefield Tapped typed duels. They're extremely affordable. They will fit with all kinds of cards that care about types of lands and have different types of basic land cycling, by which I mean mountain cycling, plane cycling, not basic land cycling, right. which can't get these. But that was just a great contribution to uh, to cube design as well. So for those reasons, I'm going to go with Dominar United as much as I did love Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty. Sure. I also just like these lands aesthetically a lot. It's like if I'm new to magic and it's like, here's a swamp, it does this. Here's a plains, it does this. And then I have a guild gate that does both. Like that's not super resonant. Yep. Just being like, hey, this one is a plain swamp. It does both. That's like so much cleaner. Yep. Uh, and it does have all these other mechanical implications. But as far as the aesthetics of the words on the cards, the cleanest lands tap lands to me. Yeah, I, I literally looked at them and was like, this is a big push to maybe actually start thinking about two color decks to play against each other like my monocolored decks oh yeah because i sure. would definitely use yeah. this cycle of lands for that reason i think it is the most intuitive clear cycle by far cube level up moment anthony 
What was your cube level up this year? So my cube level up, and this is something we've actually talked about in the past, but I kind of like committed to my own advice. Uh, and I've just been working really hard to trying to grow the local play group. I think it was last spring, uh, the local game store changed some hours and there was another night that was working better for people. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to show up every Tuesday night with a cube. And for a month or two, it was like two to five of us. And we kind of did awkward drafts, but uh, it, it really paid off. And that just consistency of saying, hey, show up any Tuesday and we'll be there. This goes for you too, listener. If you're in Baltimore, show up on a Tuesday night. It has really started to pay off. And people are like, yeah, I've been hearing about this for months. And, uh, you know, I finally had a night off. And so here I am. Let's cube. And that's that's really been great. Yeah, I all credit to you for that, because you did make a very conscious effort to be like, I'm going to make this happen. And we should honestly, I think, record an entire episode just about how to cultivate a playgroup because i know tons of I cube we, designers we, we out there we did that right and now i'm no, saying no 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 we, we, did, we did an episode about how to get people to draft your cube that's okay. different than cultivating a sustainable sure, like sure, playgroup sure. of people that you have a community with yeah i i think that this was a really good example of putting that advice to use and it's been really successful we've had multiple weeks where we have basically filled two full pods now on a random Tuesday where we just got 16 people to come out and play cube. We've brought a lot of new people into the fold to differing degrees. You know, some people are, are in the fold in the sense that every couple of Tuesdays that come out and play a cube, but they're not like really into the format. And some people have become incredibly invested in the format to the degree that they went to KubeCon this year after starting playing cube just in the spring at your cube night on Tuesday. So that is a thing I would love for everyone out there listening to replicate in their own little community, because I would love to grow the cube community for a lot of reasons. One of them being the sustainability of the software thing I mentioned earlier. If there's more people, more you know users out there to contribute to the Patreon and make this thing a little more sustainable, that would be great. But another reason is just that it's a, it's a format I love and I want to share the part of the game I love with people. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, full credit to you for that. That is, I was hoping you were going to say that for your cube level up, because if you didn't, I was going to bring it up. <laughs> great. Well, that means you'll get to have your own cube level up. Yeah, mine is more related to cube design itself, and I think this is the year that the complexity really caught up with me of Magic cards, and really it was the past like two years that looks, we saw... Looks at graph. <laughs> well, yeah, really it was the past two years that we saw a big uptick in the printed complexity of cards, but for me as a cube designer, previously, I would say complexity was like a second or third order consideration for me in my cube. It was like... Does this card do something cool? Is this card exciting and powerful? Is this a card I want to play with? And if it is, I was willing to forgive a lot of complexity and just say, doesn't matter that it's got extra text on it. Doesn't matter that it's a really complicated card people might not have seen because it's not in constructed formats. It's not a player in limited or whatever. I was purely focused on this kind of environment where I was assuming that players were willing and able to put up with complexity in exchange for the game experience I was trying to create. And a combination of factors, one being Magic Cards getting more and more complicated. The other one being that we've been playing our cubes with more new people this year than Absolutely, ever before. Yeah. So it's not the same, you know, it's not eight people from the same group of 12 that are drafting our cube every time. There's new people where it's like genuinely like, here's what a cube is like. You've never seen it before. Never listened to this podcast. Don't know what cube is. There's going to be two fetch lands and three shock lands, like doing the basic intro stuff that... Uh, and the, the more cards also does factor into it, even though it doesn't seem like it does. Because oh, it absolutely does. When you're saying previously, if it was like, oh, here's the 10 new complicated cards, but everybody's read the same 10 new complicated cards. Great. We all kind of have a sense of it. When it's here's 10 of the 100 new cards. Well, maybe everybody hasn't read them. So that the more cards they produce, the more complexity there is in terms of the, the new stuff that people have to learn when approaching a new environment. Another good reason why more new cards is not universally better. Yeah. So this year, I really have been making a, a concerted effort to 
recognize that complexity leads to bad games, right? Like, if someone has to read all the cards in a pack, even though they're a reasonably invested Magic player, like, that's not fun for them. And it's they're going to make mistakes. They're not going to make optimal picks because they're not going to bother to read those three commander set cards or whatever because... It's too much mental load when also doing all the things you're doing in a normal draft. It's a bummer to have a board be so complicated that you just miss triggers and like lose games because of it or miss triggers and have to roll back. And that's bad game design, I think. So as a cube designer, I have really put complexity to the forefront of things I'm considering when trying to craft a good game experience and recognizing that simple is better. If I could... Have if you can get the same fun and the same exactly. interesting decisions from less complexity, then that's that's overall better. Yes, is, is kind of what I've been focusing on. So I've got a lot of cards that I, I really like the play patterns of. I think they're cool and exciting just because it's like, this is not worth the complexity cost anymore. I, I'm really seeing that as like a limited resource that I have to use where I want to use it. If there's anything that could be called a big change in my approach to cube design this year, it's, it's definitely that. Yeah, I really saw this, again, to go back to KubeCon at that event, because people were just trying to read and understand so many new environments, but so many new cards. People that uh, were, it's once. worth noting, really on <laughs> balance, extremely invested players that know a lot of cards, have played a lot of Magic. So to say that that group was still struggling really highlights the challenges that you work right, with. Right, right. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the future when, we, when new KubeCon rolls around, but... I will definitely think about cubes that I'm submitting differently and will definitely cut down on, hey, here's this like cutesy thing that or, you know, something that's a little bit of a complication that to me kind of defines the environment is important to it because it gives it part of its personality. But putting it into this other context, like that's not appropriate. Like I actually do want to take out a lot of those complexities, a lot of those confusing edge cases, because it's not for people to really be like full focused on your cutesy story and your what you want to do with this cube. It's yeah, this is one of. 24 things on the cube menu and I want to be able to understand all of those things to only a certain level of depth so yeah I mean that that definitely changed the way I was thinking about complexity as well and you know it makes me think of things like accessibility in both web design and architecture and urban planning and how so often the thing that makes your building or your website more accessible for the specific audience that needs those accessibility features also just makes it better for everybody else. I think that's the same sort of pattern at play here. It might be near impossible for somebody that is newer to magic to sit down and like play a cube like mine from scratch and making it simpler so they could maybe have a chance. That is also going to help the really experienced players that have drafted my cube a hundred times because they will have the same relative lift of mental load in terms of having to think about all these confusing edge cases and just get to focus on the game, making strategic decisions that affect the outcome. That's it for our questions. Do you have any other reflections on the year, Anthony? Maybe this is maybe the one time we can like get a little meta and talk about the show on the show. Do you have reflections about Lucky Paper Radio, about the fact that we've been streaming the YouTube channel? Wow. What do you what do you think about all these things? We're going to have a, a big blow up just like on, on the Doughboys. <laughs> How do you feel about the... Do you still like doing the podcast? I feel fine. <laughs> podcast is fine. <laughs> Three-fourths. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I would say if, if we're being a little confessional, like this, this podcast has just become such an important part of my whole deal. Like <laughs> magic What's has your whole deal, dude. <laughs> magic had be had slowly or increasingly become like my main hobby. And this has really cemented it and taken it to another level where, you know, when I'm have a free night, a free weekend, which let's be honest, that's most of my nights and weekends when I'm not actively playing magic, I'm building software tools and like exploring data and building more cubes and that's all part of this this whole ecosystem and yeah i'll, I'll do it for another year 
I think. Cool. <laughs> I'm also in. Great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel great about where the show is at. You know, we basically doubled our audience from like the first week of 2022 to the last week of 2022, which is, which is, I think, pretty good. I also think, why do we care? Like, who cares if line goes up? We don't have any financial stake in this but, but you get some dopamine or whatever the dopamine is important and also like you know we wouldn't do the show if literally nobody was listening yeah. right uh there is something to be said for the fact that we want to be providing something to a community and knowing that we're reaching more people is satisfying because it means we're succeeding at the thing we want to do more totally i mean that feedback is really important you know if i'm working on the cube map and nobody says anything it's like okay like i liked it still but not gonna keep working on it but if I get a lot of feedback and people are like, oh, could we do this with it? Can we, uh, you know, maybe see this representation of the data? Even if I can't do those things all, the, all right away, like just having that feedback just makes it so much easier to be enthusiastic and excited about working on stuff. And same goes for the podcast. Yeah. And like a, kind of a clear example of that is like we made the commander wrap this year. We meeting you and Jet basically. And commander is not our normal thing. We talk about cube most weeks on this podcast. And because we don't really participate as much in like the commander world, the excitement about that map like was a really sharp peak right at the launch right because we're talking to a much bigger audience of people now commander players have something similar to the cube map they can go in and explore stuff but the sort of long-term sustainability of it like people largely fell off because it's more like a novelty and we're not there every week to talk about it and be part of a community where it's like a central thing meanwhile like interest in the cube map has continued strong basically which is exciting yeah i mean i think that uh, there's very different they're very different formats and i think just because of a lot of factors, the cube map is actually just a lot more useful. Like it solves real problems. The fact that you can search to... for your cube is a pretty important. Well, you feature. can search for your cube, but it also I think highlights uh, more like different aspects of cubes and different types of cubes that maybe you just might not know exist, and sort of show the diversity of the format, which you do see to some degree in the commander map when you zoom into an individual commander. It's like, oh, cool, I can build the tribal version or the blank version or the treasure version. But I feel like those are less surprising in a lot of ways. So I, I do think the cube map has more utility. Yeah. And then, like, I'm really excited to be finally streaming and putting out some videos. Watching people draft the MTGO Vintage Cube on YouTube is how I became aware of Cube as a format. It's how I got interested in building the first Cube of my own. That was my entry point into Cube, right? And that's when I eventually found my way to the subreddit and to Cube Tutor, and, you know, the rest kind of unfolded from there. But I needed that entry point, right? And there is so little alternative Cube gameplay out there, period. Some streamers will do games of the live the dream cube or some other cube that's on mtgo but beyond that if you want to watch cube if you want to be exposed to the format your only options are really just the magical Online vintage cube and watching people play it on youtube so the fact that we're finally putting like decent quality like quality i'm at least proud of paper magic of different kinds of cubes online uh, is really satisfying to me i was just saying on twitter today that it's really satisfying to be making the kind of content that I've always wanted to see, right? I just I wish there was more of this out there for me to watch as a viewer. I want to see more people play different kinds of cubes, and to be making that has been really satisfying. And to be like totally optimistic and goal setting, I would love to imagine some future where somebody discovers what cube is through our videos, right? Through our perspective on the format, and doesn't come to it with the baggage of power focus and the magical online vintage cube and all of that stuff, and comes to it instead with the perspective we have on the game, which I think is... I, mean, I think that through the podcast, that has already happened many times. Uh, I think so. A couple people on the Reddit that are like, hey, what is Cube? I've heard, I've just heard about this people before. People have commented, but how many of them have actually turned what's into the, like what's the listeners? Funnel? What's I mean, the funnel look hey, like there? Look, write me an email or a tweet or a, or a Discord 
message uh, if you discovered this format through us, like didn't really know what Cube was until this show came along. I would love to hear that. Uh, and I think I just think video is a much more approachable way. Like I love podcasts. It's my favorite form of media. I will stay in podcasts to the grave. But I also fully recognize that it is it's not the most approachable format yeah. of media. Like to just send somebody out of the blue an episode of you and I talking about Cube with none of the context, none of the backstory, not knowing our personalities, not knowing our perspective in the game. And then like it starts out in this really confusing way with like references to some movie that you don't right. get, it's, just like strange voices. It's a voices. very, very puzzling <laughs> intro that uh, confuses people and I uh, get lots of messages about. Whereas people playing Magic, that is our common, that's True, our common yeah. language, right? Like a game of Magic, you can send to any other Magic player and be like, here's a game of Magic I think you might be interested in, right? And that is, I think, a much better entry point to True. this concept than listening to the podcast, as much as I love podcasts. I think we heard back from a lot of listeners when we did the episode on building a cube from your collection, people that said, this yes. finally put me over the edge, and I'm starting my cube today. And that was so, that we did again, here. that was I like the that. kind of Best feedback, feedback that ever. just made, made it fun to keep doing this. Yeah. Best feedback ever beyond beyond just the podcast i really feel like the enthusiasm and interest for cube is it's it's both growing and i feel like it's poised to grow in a really big way in the next couple years just because i feel like everyone has kind of been exposed it's usually if i'm like if i meet somebody today and i say hey we're playing cube do you want to play they're more likely to say like oh yeah i've heard about that i haven't tried it yet but i'm curious more than a year ago i think it was like People didn't really have an idea. What kind of commander is Cube? Exactly. I've never seen the Cube commander. What is that? So I feel like we're at a point where a lot of people are like, okay, I've heard about this three times. The fourth time somebody invites me to a Cube night, I will come. And I think that's hopefully happening, not just in our local group, but beyond that as well. And I'd love to see... Yeah, I mean, in all of this proliferation of new cards that are so hard to follow and, you know, complex... Just a complicated world. I think that Cube just solves so many of the problems and frustrations that many people have with the game. So I'd love to see people have access to it more yeah. and more. I think it's the best way to play. I mean, transparently, both you and I are going to be at MagicCon in uh, Philadelphia in February. And they had an open submission for panels. And I submitted a panel basically on the thesis that we are in a unique moment where Cube is in a great spot to give players what they want from the game. And it's it's kind of always been that way, but especially with this continued fracturing of what magic is and like hyper specification of different players playing different formats. We've seen other things rise to popularity, right? Like pre-modern, I think is having a big moment right now. Canadian Highlander is having a big moment right now. CEDH has really defined itself as a completely separate mm -hmm. format that, I mean, sure, it has like the same overarching ban list as regular commander, but that format is a format unto itself that has grown a lot in popularity. I think the, the forces that are causing all of these other fan-made and grassroots formats to be successful are the same forces that could allow Cube to be the thing that it is to us for more people, right? Just uh, allow them to just focus on the part of the game they love the most. And as long as you uh, like limited in some sense, you don't only want to play constructed. That's really the only prerequisite for having a lot of fun playing cube yeah i mean it's interesting you're talking about this like fracturing of the community as somewhat of a negative thing but cube is almost it's like the the ultimate fracturing it's like you can totally divorce yourself from this the card pools the the gameplay you can even start changing the rules if you want it i think in a positive way allows you to sort of define your own local community well that's what i like about the cube community online is that because fundamentally we are not connected by any of these other things we're not going to be arguing about some stupid ban in a discord channel because 
That is not what connects us. What connects us is just a love of the game and a willingness to make an experience for our playgroup, for other people that shares the part of the game that we love with them. That's why I think it's the best community to be a part of. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, the conversation is, hey, you're coming to the Discord and you're one of your players is not having a good time like let's all try and identify what is the what is the problem as far as enjoying this game and that's that's really fundamental yeah hopefully we get to do that panel i don't know we'll find out in the next couple of weeks i think even if we don't we will be at magic con so if you want to hang out there little, play some cube little mini cube con play some battle box i think we'll both bring some stuff with us be it starter decks cubes battle boxes or just you know hang out meet people but yeah i think all of these grassroots formats cube included are having a moment for for lack of a better word and i see a lot of potential that i want cube to grow into well that's it for this episode and this year of lucky paper radio we don't bring this up very often but if you are out there listening you've listened to a lot of episodes you like the show uh it would be great if you left us a nice review on itunes or honestly the best thing just tell a friend just pick an episode that you think uh, was one of your favorites that you think your friend that plays magic might like use us as a as a way to start the conversation about maybe playing a little cube with some people that maybe are into other formats for all the reasons we talked about that's why we make this show we don't make any money off the show we sink a lot of time into this just because we love this format we love this community and we just want to reach more people. So if uh, if you can help with that, that will be great. You know I had to do it to him. Last interjection of the year from Editing Andy. Really quick, I just wanted to thank Parker, his partner and professional musician, Kennedy, and my wife, Hillary, for helping out with the vocals on the intro, which it's just so great to have a group of friends where you can decide with like 24 hours to go, hey, I want to make a whole group chorus parody of Seasons of Love do you want to help out with it? And they jump at the opportunity to. And more broadly, just a big thank you to Parker for everything he's done for the show over the year and in years previous. I'll see you next year with more interjections from the future. Big thank you to uh, DJ James Nasty, OG member of the Bun Magic Kitchen Table Pro Tour, the local playgroup after which my cube is named. I don't know that that playgroup has changed so much post COVID. I haven't seen a, James. I haven't played Magic group. with James in years, but uh, but it's nice to have the music on the show every week to uh, to remind me of James and his Ashling the Pilgrim EDH deck that was I think eighty some mountains and Ashling. All the Magic cards are produced by Wizards of the Coast. All of them, the the vast vast many Magic cards are all produced by Wizards of the Coast. They're working really hard over there, and this show is produced by thinking really hard about Magic cards and speaking into microphones about it. Here's to another year of podcasting, Anthony. Another year. Maybe our last. We'll find out. Like check, collectively? Check, check in next like year. Like humanity's <laughs> last year? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's last possible. Year, last year of this podcast. Last year of all podcasts. Last year. Of... We'll find out. <laughs> no spoilers. Yeah, noob.